Welcome to the Remarkable Retail Podcast, Season 5, Episode 12, presented by Market Dial. I'm Michael LeBlanc. And I'm Steve Dennis. Well, we are recording this live in person here at Grocery Shop. Uh, we're here together, Steve, and thanks again to Steve from uh, Market Dial for uh, making this uh, the connection here and getting us here and making helping making this happen. So listen, we're here and, and we're talking and meeting all kinds of great folks, right? Yeah, it's been fun to... Uh have uh, some planned meetups and and those sort of things as well as just run run into folks on the tram as as we did yeah, uh, as we that did, we didn't yeah. know and some shout out to that great li- shout out to that listener who uh, <laughs> yes. said hi on the, and uh, when we were on the tram coming back from yeah. uh, dinner on Monday night so I feel I feel like we're cele- you know we're, we're celebrities are you the remarkable retail guys in, indeed we are it's a funny experience right it's a funny yeah. experience so on this episode, it's going to be a great episode. We actually, and recorded earlier this week uh, here in Vegas, we've got a great interview. Tim Simmons, Senior Vice President, Chief Product Officer at Sam's. Some listeners will remember that we talked to Nancy King. Mm-hmm. From Target. Yeah, from yeah. Target. And when I saw her title as SVP of Product Engineering, I think that's what it is, something mm-hmm, like that. Mm-hmm. I was like, what does that even mean in the retail context? And then we learned that that's, that's kind of Tim's version of, of his job as well at Walmart and it's a whole different yeah. approach to to innovation at least new newer to me yeah uh, and so not only is the Sam's Club story and and all the things they're doing in general mm. super interesting but their particular approach to innovation I think is really fascinating and they're having a lot of success with yeah, it. it's yeah. a great interview yeah and, and actually the innovation is uh, as you hear in the interview a bit new to Sam's too so it's a really interesting a discussion around the trade craft around innovation. Absolutely, right? yeah, yeah. Well, let's talk about uh, let's talk about grocery shops. So we're here. It's uh, Thursday. Uh, we're all both uh, about to get on a flights uh, flights home. Although you're going somewhere else, right? So where am, where are you off to? I am uh, just taking the puddle jumper over to <laughs> Auckland uh, later later this evening. No, is, that, so. is that a suburb? Not of, Oakland. I was going to say, is that a Auckland? <laughs> is that a suburb of Texas? Or no, you're going all the way over I'm to New Zealand. I'm going to New Zealand, right? yes. Wow. I'm going to be what are you uh, doing get, there? getting my Kiwi on. Uh, I am doing a, a talk at an internal company meeting uh, for a big uh, nice. food brand down yes. there, operator of, not, of retail stores. Not so. your first time to that part of the world, right? It is not. Uh, the last time I was there, which was four or five years ago, was uh, actually on my way to Australia to do a talk, but I took a little digression and spent some time on both the North and South Islands, so I'm looking forward to getting back there and uh, so mix of business and a little bit of pleasure. And we'll be back here, actually, uh, in a couple of weeks uh, at the NACS show, right? The National Association Convenience Store show. Looking forward to that. Again, we'll be, we'll, be, we'll be here with our friends at uh, Market Dial again. And we have a studio in their booth. I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah, yeah. It should be a lot of fun. I think we're supposed to call it NAX, though. NAX. I think, yeah, if we want to be. What did I call it? Cool. NAX. No, you used the you spelled it oh, out. Oh, I spelled it, it out. Yeah, 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 yeah apparently yeah. like the cool people say. <laughs> NAX. It's like South by. You know, you'll say South yeah, by Southwest. Yeah, yeah, it's South by. I heard it's a similar vibe. NAX. Also, so. All right. Well, let's get to what uh, your observations were about grocery shop. You know, we've, we've uh, as, as uh, folks will hear uh, soon, we haven't figured out the schedule yet. We got a chance to talk to Christina Gustafson from uh, the Shop Talk organization. I think mm-hmm. they just put on great programs. And uh, this is my first time at grocery shop so uh, yeah, mine too. Uh, so it's really interesting just to go deeper and broader on some of the, the issues going on in the industry which is you know become in the last few years kind of the hot area mm-hmm. for innovation e-commerce all things mm-hmm. all things digital so for me it was a little bit of drinking from a fire hose in terms of information but I think what was uh, you know in terms of the things that stood out a lot of talk about retail media networks mm-hmm. for sure 
a lot of talk about various aspects of convenience, you know, ultra fast delivery, you know, yeah. Instacart, the DoorDash people yeah. were here and others, um, Walmart Go, I guess it's yeah, called. Yeah, local. we talked to them. Yeah, we, yeah, talked, we talked to, talked to them. So a lot of just what's going on in the mm-hmm. getting the product to consumers um, yeah. and kind of this big overlay about profitability. You know, that's been one of the things, obviously, we've talked a lot about mm-hmm. in general about the profitability of some of these some of these ventures. But I think grocery in particular has had this big adoption of, of digital, a lot more in terms of home delivery, but yeah. the economics of that are pretty challenging. And yeah. so yeah. Uh, just a lot, a lot of different takes like that. I did say on the, uh, I don't want to say the negative side, but it was funny to me the number of speakers that kind of made a big deal about, oh, omni-channel is important, or <laughs> uh, what was the other one that was uh, personalization? And I was like, or, am I at a conference? <laughs> Wait a minute. Wait a minute, Doc. Uh, are you telling me that you built a time machine? <laughs> yes. It feels like I'm in a time machine. Yes, They're sir. starting to talk about omni-channel. Yeah, and all we went this back stuff. to the future. I was like, Are we, I feel like I'm at NRF in 2009 or something. But yeah, so some of that, uh, and you know, of course, many people were talking much more about, you know, what does it mean for them? So it wasn't yeah, yeah, as if yeah. it was all just like it wasn't a new concept. I but just it was, discovered it. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. Uh, but some of it was like, yeah, we think the the blending of digital and physical Could is going to be big. <laughs> so lots of great uh, content coming out of the show. Uh, lots of great interviews. Uh, stay tuned, and uh, we talk lots of great folks, both bonus episodes and full episodes. So we got lots of great insights. You're going to go from avocados yep, to yep. retail media networks to you know you name it. It's it's all there. Well, let's let's uh, talk about the news of the week. So um, let's see where should we start. Speaking let's, of fun, yes. interest rates went up. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say let's start. You know, on the economics side. Uh, what, what, what think you of the. Uh, I guess somewhat predictable, yeah. but there's ebbs and flows, right? Inflation, I think, went down a little bit. So, yeah, what do you make bit. of all of it? Um, I mean, I, I, you know, we keep coming back to this. I mean, I think we're just in this very volatile and uncertain time. Uh, you know, interest rates going up in the U.S., U.K. You, I mean, you know, na- you name it. A lot of folks thinking that it's going to be pretty hard for the interest rates by themselves to really make a big dent into into inflation anytime soon. So I just feel like we're in this weird time of this confluence of events mm-hmm. that, you know, frankly, almost nobody's lived through. And there's lots of opinions about what it's all going to mean. And I don't know that I trust even mm-hmm. the most learned mm-hmm. people because uh, they've been wrong quite a lot. Well, listen, I, I, you know, I think what we all learned coming out of COVID is you can't predict like next week some days, let alone the future. So maybe just stay agile and ready to react, right? Yeah, one of the quotes I've got in my book, and I often include in my keynotes, uh, include in in keynotes, is from uh, the meditation teacher, John Kabat-Zinn, which is the waves are going to keep on coming, so you better learn to surf. You know, like that is, that's the implication, because the ability to really predict things is, uh, most people are pretty poor at that, I know that I am. Well, let's talk about uh, who's like Walmart and Target. Both announced that they're hiring. Uh, Gap, not so much. I mean, it's just standard news. I mean, retailers gearing up for the holidays, right? Well, it's also just you know, if your business is not good, chances are you're focused on cutting costs, which mm-hmm. you know, long term may not turn out to serve you well. But that's that's where people are. And then the brands that are doing well or have a strong balance sheet are continuing to invest, which is what we're seeing from Walmart, Target, a whole bunch of bunch of other folks. Speaking of other folks, JCPenney, they're opening up uh, a new beauty shop across the United States. What, what make of you? I mean, they're taking swings at the bat. We've talked about uh, wishing thoughts and prayers to the new uh, leadership of yeah, JCPenney. Yeah, I mean, when bad business models happen to good people, uh, I guess. I mean, I, it, it's, it's, you know, 
we've, we've talked about this offline a lot. I mean, I hate to just be so relentlessly negative about certain companies, but it's, it's hard not to. Mm. I think JCPenney, you know, it's the classic version. You know, I always call it the slightly better version of mediocre yeah. or the faster horse. Or like, you know, there's just all these cliches mm. of taking a brand that is so irrelevant, working on the things to make it moderately more relevant, but still not interesting enough mm. to turn the company around. I don't believe so. What they are doing, they've been testing a, a beauty concept uh, which, you know, a lot of things sound perfectly sensible in terms of uh, focusing on inclusiveness, sure. uh, va- you know, stronger value proposition. But they're having to respond to Sephora, their mm. deal with Sephora mm-hmm. ending. Mm. And, and, you know, that was kind of the core of their beauty offering. Yeah. And now they've decided to kind of go it alone, yeah. develop their own things. Apparently, some of the results from the tests were quite good. I mean, you'd probably, so if you were there, out. you'd probably be doing not dissimilar things, right? I mean, if you were in the similar well, position, you know, I, I suspect. We, we just, uh, you know, our last episode, we, we did the, the retail fight club on mm. Kohl's. And yeah, I think when you look at these businesses that are stuck in the boring middle, they're dealing with sort of obvious problems. And, uh, but, you know, in a lot of cases, it's from going, you know, on a scale of one to 10, there are mm. three, and they're going to go to four. But the problem is you're not nine or ten. Right. That's right. the problem. And yeah. and it's hard to know when you get that far behind and you've watched the last twenty years happen to you. It you know, yeah. you are in a big hole and yeah. it's almost impossible to dig out. So we saw some really interesting things. We walked uh, the show floor and we saw some pretty interesting things. And uh, one of the things you and I were looking at, we we saw we stopped by the uh, the Amazon uh, just walk out. They had a booth, yep. they had a, a cart there. Um, we talked to a bunch of other folks who were, you know, talking, and you could see it on the show floor. Uh, Wegmans came out though, kind of going counter to that, and uh, they're not they're not so interested in the scan and go. Talk about that. Yeah, it's interesting. So a lot of people may know Wegmans. I mean, it's a regional grocery store, but uh, very beloved, and they've been testing scan and go, and they decided to pull the trigger on it. It appears that it uh, has a lot to do with some of the loss prevention issues, uh, mm-hmm. which has, you know, been a, you know, all sorts of self-checkout. Sure. You know, that has been an issue of whether or not, you know, consumers may like it, eliminate some friction, but the operating of it from a cost standpoint can be, yeah. Yeah. Can be problematic. I, I wouldn't necessarily read too much into this. I think there's a lot of experimentation. And you mentioned we saw a lot of different things mm-hmm. being tried on the floor, some of them quite capital-intensive. Yeah. I had a robot uh, open a bottle of beer for uh, me yes, and serve yes. me a delicious uh, beverage, a German beer. It's fantastic. <laughs> so, I don't know if that's a problem in necessarily in need of solution, but you know, <laughs> if you need a beer and there's nobody around and there's a robot, we've got, we've got it for you. So. It's just a precursor to the robot overlords that will be running our life. Yes, and, 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 I, I, just, I just saw them stabbing me as opposed to serving me a tasty <laughs> beverage. But That's how it starts, but, though. That's, that's how it starts. Then they become self-aware, and then they're like, I'm sick of serving you beer. I'm just going to... Seems like a good AI application. It does. Uh, Is that machine learning? I don't know. Anyway... <laughs> But I, you know, I what I I think the bigger takeaway, not so much in the the Wegman story. I mean, there's clearly just as evidenced by what people were talking about here and just broadly in the industry. You know, taking those friction points out, and you know, it's it's I guess the last mile of getting out of the yeah. store. It's not the last mile in the way we yeah. normally think about it. And you know, what is going to be that solution that is capital efficient? Operating cost efficient, yeah. serves the the consumer and loved by the consumer, right? I mean, yeah. I, I, you. I was telling you the story, and, and Sobeys in Canada has the smart carts, and initially wasn't so successful because you know you got to return the cart to the store, so you you 
they're wonderful carts. They work fantastically. But then you're in the back of the parking lot, and you got to bring the cart back into the store. Yeah. So they came up with a different way to work it, which was you you go to a different part of the store and you move all your stuff to another cart and take that <laughs> cart. And I, I was asking the associate. I tried to use a gift card, and the gift card didn't work. It wasn't programmed. Yeah. And she said, I said, do people use this thing? She was, they love it. And so it's interesting, right? Even though there's a fair bit of friction in the experience, people still love dropping things in their cart and then yeah. even just moving them around. So, you know, I love, I love that Wegmans and everybody else is taking swings at the bat, right? Well, that's, I think that's the big lesson, you know, is you got you to be trying stuff, right? And, yep. you know, the, the first thing you try and the second thing you try and the third thing you try may not be the right thing. But if you point to, if you, I think if you know you are either addressing a major pain point and or, I guess, creating a real point of delight. Yeah, making it fun, right? Then, Isn't you know, it? if you're pointed in the right direction, it may take you a while to to find the right solution and to yeah. test your way yeah. Yeah. into that. And if it's a big enough problem, it's probably worth continuing to, to go at it. And certainly some of these things are, are huge issues and there's a lot of opportunity for customer delight or cost savings. All right, well, now it's time again to visit the Wobbly Unicorn Center. What, uh, what news... From our segment, do we want to impart on our oh, listeners? Well, I don't, I don't know if this is going to turn out to be depressing because it seems like, you know, at some point we'll have an uplifting uh, story from the yeah. Wobbly Unicorn Corner. But yeah. uh, for those of us that have may not be fully involved in this exciting new segment, uh, this is where we talk about the disruptor brands that were once unicorns, i.e. worth more than a billion dollars that are not so much anymore. And this week, uh, actually we have two pieces of news. This week, uh, Stitch Fix reported their earnings which, um, and sales, which were down 16% year over year. Mm. But in the continuing trend here, uh, the losses got even worse. They had a net loss in one quarter. Uh, so this is on $481 million of business. They lost $96.3 million. So that's not awesome. Yeah, we call that um, a, we, I guess we call that a pretty aggressive burn rate. That is a burn rate, yes, a significant burn rate. Their client, uh, active client base, also fell. Um, it, what do you What do you make of this? Because you know, I loved Katrina Lake's business because it was the AI infused box to the door. It all seemed to have all the points connected. Um, you know, it's interesting they're losing customers and not just losing money. Like, what do you, what do you think is is it is it a COVID impact of the way people work? They're they're less they don't have to go into work as often. For example, that was a big component, right? A lot of people said, "Listen, I don't want to wear the same thing to go into work." So, yes, Stitch Fix answered a need. I think it's a contributor, but I also think it's one of the things we've seen with a number of these disruptor brands, which is their first few stages of growth. They found like the perfect customers. But then it became harder to really find that best fit customer. And so I don't think that the idea, uh, uh, you know, the fundamental idea of Stitch Fix is necessarily a bad one. But I think they overshot the runway in terms of how big a business it could be. I see. It also turned out, I mean, this is more anecdotal than anything, but I know a number of customers that were loyal customers for Stitch Fix that found that the actual the recommendation engine didn't work mm. very well. So they were very heavy on data science, and then they found out, well, we actually need some people right. to do this. And the blend of that Art is, science. is Art science pretty costly. So yeah. some of the economics of this are challenging. So I don't know that they can't resurrect them themselves, but they've certainly mm. had a couple of quarters at least of a pretty bad performance. Um, and this is another one of these, these former unicorns. I mean, the stock's down... 75% year to date. Mm-hmm. And what I think one of the broader things to think about and we were you know we've had a couple of these side conversations is 
a bunch of these companies, they're going to run out of cash. Stitches Fix has got a decent amount of money in the back, but in the, in the bank, but another couple of quarters, uh, and it's going rate. to be a problem. Yeah. And as we've we've also talked about a bunch of times, there are a lot of venture investors that aren't touching these deals anymore. Mm. And you know now they're in the public market, and you know do they end up needing to be acquired? Mm. Which brings me to the second story of uh, of the Wobbly Unicorn Corner Purple Mattresses, mm-hmm. which uh, is. Many people may know Casper is another one of these sort of yeah. new new age, new wave uh, disruptor brands. They were a lot. I know I, I had, had the opportunity to interview their former CEO, Joe yes. Medjibo, who was brought on to try and turn them around. I think they were Utah-based, and they had some yep. proprietary tech, and it looked pretty interesting, right? Yeah, well, for a while, they were kind of the outlier. You know, I used to point to them, um, you know, really in contrast to Casper, because I thought Casper was always pretty questionable and was kind of swinging for the fences. And... Purple was actually making some money and growing nicely, and they seem to be more focused on profitability. And now they've they've hit a wall as well. Mm-hmm. And I think two things are going on. Again, there's the like how big a business, how many bed in a box or innovative mattresses yeah. you know do the world need? I think they also got hit by the kind of forward buying or pulling forward of of demand. So anyway, there's a mm-hmm. um, they are allegedly are being pursued by a financial investor, but their stock prices have collapsed quite a bit. So I think. You know, we talked um, recently about uh, not only a potential lot of management changes because some of the investors are going to get tired of these uh, these founders promising returns that now you know twelve thirteen years in haven't materialized. Yeah, yeah. But also, I think uh, you know there may be prices that are make them very attractive as mm. acquisition mm. candidates, and yeah. so uh, whether it's a financial buyer or a strategic yeah. buyer. Let's get under our great interview with Tim Simmons, SVP Product Officer from Sam's. But first. A message from our presenting sponsor. MarketDial is an easy-to-use testing platform and boldens great decisions, leading to reliable, scalable results. With MarketDial, you can be confident in the outcome of your in-store pilot initiatives before rolling them out across your fleet. In a challenging retail climate of supply chain disruption, labor shortages, and dynamic customer behavior, the need for reliable insights has never been greater. Validate your remarkable ideas with MarketDial's in-store testing solution. The proof is in the testing. Learn more at marketdial.com. That's marketdial.com. Well, Michael and I are excited to welcome Tim Simmons to the Remarkable Retail Podcast live from Las Vegas. Welcome, Tim. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you. It's great to be here. Now, uh, I think we're catching you hot off the plane, but right before you go on stage. Is, Correct. is that right? That's right. All right. Well, before we get into the, the heart of the matter here, maybe we'll just ask you a little bit about... Uh, who you are, tell us a little bit about your personal and professional journey, and then we'll, uh, we'll talk about what's going on in the world of Sam's Club. You bet. Um, I'll try to be concise. I, I had a, uh, prior to Sam's Club, I've been at Sam's Club for seven years now, and prior to that, I had stints in advertising agencies, in management consulting, um, long career in data-driven marketing uh, insights, as well as technology-enabled experiences. And so when I came to Sam's Club seven years ago, I came into the membership in marketing. Um, made sense. That was just a natural step into sure. the company. And um, within about 18 months, there was some leadership change, and I got asked to join the operations team. And I thought, you guys are crazy. I thought, yeah. I've never <laughs> operated in brick-and-mortar retail in my life. Um, but it, was, it came with an interesting little twist, which was, well, we want you to run transformation and innovation. Mm. And some of the thinking behind that was 
they wanted the fresh eyes uh, approach to what we were doing in the clubs. Um, and at the time, uh, we didn't really have dedicated uh, software engineers at Sam's Club. And so what we did was largely independent of software development. Um, we did a lot of process change, work with equipment, you know, in, in rolled out self-checkouts to scale, right. et cetera. Um, and then after a short period, we realized what we could do with software. And we started to form an engineering and product team at Sam's Club. And it wasn't long after that they said, what you're really doing is product management. We want you to move into it. Mm. So that's what really got me into the space that I'm in right now. And that's a pretty big transition. You and I actually briefly met uh, quite a number of years ago when you were in the agency world. Just, I guess, maybe kind of two background questions. One, just maybe remind, because we do have some listeners that are in countries that don't have a Sam's Club. So maybe just quickly give everybody a sense of, you know, about the breadth and scope of Sam's Club. And then you know, that transition, how's that, how's that been from you know, the agency world to, as I was joking around, getting a real job? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, yeah, so Sam's Club formed in 1983 by Sam Walton, obviously the founder of Walmart. Um, so we are a, a division of Walmart. And we are a warehouse model. So we call our stores clubs. So you'll hear me refer to them as clubs. We have just under 600 clubs nationally in the U.S. Uh, The Sam's brand is also active in Mexico and China. The work I do largely is in the U.S. You know, we have a growing membership base or a membership model. Mm -hmm. So uh, our members uh, pay an annual membership fee. And that gives them access um, to the club, to great prices, great items at very low prices, um, as well as for our plush membership, other benefits like some cashback benefits, some right. great uh, pharmacy benefits. Uh, so that's that Sam's Club in a nutshell. And the, uh, the transition over, it was really interesting. You know, at first, um, advertising agency is a fast, fast pace. That environment is crazy. And clients are very demanding, even more so than now. And so high pressure, intense, fast pace is what I'd describe. Mm. And when I first got to Sam's, it was kind of the opposite. Mm. It, was, mm. it was actually a little bit slow for me, yeah. and it took some getting used to. But I think what's happened with Sam's Club over the last seven years is a fantastic transformation where I feel like we're now a little bit in that fast paced environment on the software development front and on some of the innovative experiences that we're creating for our members. Yeah. Yeah. So you are about to get on the stage. Um, Can you give us a little bit of a preview of some of the things you're going to be talking about and showcasing? Yeah. um, I think one of the things I want to talk about is innovation. Um, So I'm I'm excited to talk about that and and the journey and the transformation that we've been on. Um, I think they're also interested in hearing uh, what are we seeing with consumer behaviors, especially in this environment, in this high inflationary environment, and, you know, what are, what are some of the trends and how are consumers responding to the different um, offerings that we have, to the different, you know, ways you can shop Sam's Club, and maybe even comparing a little bit to the pandemic world to this inflationary world because they're yeah. dramatically mm-hmm. different, and what does that look like for us? Mm-hmm. So I'm pretty sure those are topics that will come up. Okay. Well, it's super interesting. Let's let's uh, pull on the thread of innovation. I'm curious about the tradecraft of innovation. I mean, Sam's, as you said, you know, when you got there, really in your in your lens, picked up that pace of innovation. Walmart, you know, really when I think of Walmart now, I think of constant iteration and, and innovation. But let's peel that back. Let's talk about the tradecraft. How does that how does that come about from a whiteboard? 
into the stores at scale. I mean, that's the thing that really interests me because your scale is so immense. You got to be, you know, once you let loose whatever you've had in the workshop, it really gets uh, pressure tested, right? Yeah, it sure does. I I, I think the best way to describe it is we, we have what I would call a main current in terms of a way of working around innovation in particular. And we have different types of innovation. So I would frame it this way. Hmm. I would say we have what I call five-year-out innovation, and that's a space where we, we want to play in, but we're largely experimenting. We anticipate lots of failure there. We anticipate that that's a learning experience. Um, we have innovation that we do that I kind of call the everyday innovation, which is the problems that we're solving. And we look at the products that we're developing and the product roadmap we expect our teams to innovate against the everyday roadmap as well. Mm. In mm. other words, don't go solve that problem the way everybody else has solved it. Let's solve that problem in a way that's unique to us, unique to our brand, and unique to the fact that we're a warehouse membership model, which mm. is very different. Yeah, yeah. Um, very engaged, very engaged shoppers, right? Exactly. Very engaged members. Right? Yeah. So in in all of them, we follow a very well-known product management life cycle, mm-hmm. right? Where we start with, okay, the strategy or what is the problem we're solving here? We, we really expect our teams to sit with the problem, fall in love with the problem. <laughs> Don't just take a, I want X. I want biometrics, right? I want to pay with a palm read or mm. pick, pick your solution that might get pulled. You know, I want augmented reality in your club. I want virtual reality in your club. We always step back and ask the five whys. Hmm. Why do you want that? Well, because we're seeing it going on elsewhere, and we want to be an innovator. Okay, why is it going on elsewhere? We, we ask the five oh, whys. We make sure we fall in love hmm. with it. Then we do what I call triangulation, which is we surround the problem with data. We look at transactional data, so the quantitative data that we've got. Hmm. Um, We'll look at observation. We have UX researchers that will go into clubs and almost ethnographic-like observation on Mm. whatever the problem is that we're studying. Um, And then we also will just test, iterate, Mm. experiment with low-fidelity prototyping. Interesting. Low-fidelity prototyping. That's an interesting (laughs) term. Yeah. You know, as as an organization, you ostensibly, particularly some of the small retailers listening, have ostensibly unlimited resources, which doesn't mean you have a free reign to spend money. So how do you pick and choose? Is it this is a table stakes versus this is a differentiator? And you've, you've articulated both a timeline you know, farther out, we're more experienced, more experiential, shorter, and we got to solve some real issues that we're seeing on the on the store floor, right? Is that yeah. talk about that for a bit? Yeah, you bet. You know, it's one of the it's it's honestly one of the in my role as the chief product officer, um, it's it's one of the toughest parts of my job is how do we arbitrate really important and valuable resources like software developers, software right. engineers, right? Right. Um, we we have a couple of things, so. For things that are five years out that we're just like, okay, metaverse, we think that's coming at us. We should pay attention. We to should it. pay attention. I'll have, we have a, a team that we call, I named Network 32. Hmm. Um, um, it's, it's a name that we picked up from the book Loon Shots, hmm. which for me, the premise of that book was about make sure you structure for innovation, which is why we have this team that's looking five years out. So as those things come our way, we just expect them to look into it, experiment, learn, et cetera. We don't do tons of prioritization there, um, but 
you know, if, if we do have to make a tough choice, mm-hmm. that'll kind of come down to me and my colleague, who's our chief technology officer, right. and we'll say what makes the most sense. Because kind of that far out, what data are you going to pull from? The exactly. metaverse, I don't know, yes, no, there's no data. It's just the kind of a pay attention to it kind of thing. Yeah. Now, th- th- these ideas, uh, these problems, do they come out of the consumer, out of the store operators? I mean, you were an operator yourself, so you kind of have a sense of that. So is, is there a blend of those two things? They come from everywhere, <laughs> honestly. All day long, 24 yeah. hours a day. They do. They really do. Um, they come from my peers on the executive team, so the, the, the executives who run parts of the business. Um, it could be our chief merchant officer. It could be our chief membership mm-hmm. and marketing mm-hmm. officer. They come from their teams as well. They, they also are trying to drive a fantastic member experience um, or you know, a fantastic experience with quality items, and they all have needs from a technology perspective. So they come from there. They come from our members. We get member feedback. We have robust member feedback. Mm-hmm. And so we will analyze that. We'll study. We'll look for trends in that. Yes, we get it from... We've made it as easy as we could possibly make it for our associates in our clubs, our operators, to give us feedback and to give us ideas and to tell us what's broken and what's not working. So they really do. They come from everywhere and they come constant. And we have a prioritization framework that basically lines up to our strategy as a company Mm -hmm. and when we can see a business case that's modeled on a need or an idea or a request that's aligned to our strategy it'll make its way onto our backlog and as we go through prioritization we it might investment impact kind of thing that 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 sort of thing exactly Yeah. yeah And if it doesn't align to the strategy, you know, we'll still capture the idea, but mm-hmm. we probably don't look into it closely, at least not for now. What I like about your data is you've got both customer behavior and both articulated and expressed. In other words, since everyone's a member, mm-hmm. you know exactly what's, what's going on. Yeah. Let's tap into the question around that you're going to be addressing on the, on the stage about inflation. I mean, for all of us, it's really not quite a first in a generation. You know, we've had some, I've had some experience with it, but not as operators, not like right. this, right? So how are you, you, you touched on it already. How are you thinking that's going to impact the consumer and how it's going to impact your work? Yeah, it's really interesting. You know, if you think about, I like to compare it and contrast it to the pandemic. When the pandemic came, we all went to virtual work. Our roadmaps and our priorities dramatically changed. Mm. Like the entire roadmap got thrown out and we said, we're going to do curbside pickup instead. <laughs> I mean, it was major pivots like that. Mm. With inflation, this environment, we've seen some changes. We've seen some things that they said, you know, let's get that one first because that's going to help with costs. That's going to help with the P&L. Sure. So we've seen a little bit, but for the most part, no big major pivots. Our roadmap is largely still the same. Um, it makes me think of a, of a quote um, that uh, is attributed to Sam Walton from 1991 when he was asked about the recession at that time. And he said, yeah, you know, I've thought about it and I've decided not to participate. <laughs> <laughs> and I love that quote. And I think we're, we're, we resemble that a little bit sure. this year. We've certainly had some changes because of the inflationary environment and, and needing to protect our P&L. Um, but at the same time, our main strategy about being member-obsessed removing friction from member experiences and optimizing things like curbside, like delivery from club, those are still our top priorities. So Tim, I wonder, and I kind of go back and forth on this because for a while I used to say that the pace of change just keeps accelerating, you know, it's more exponential than linear, whatever. But then you have things like the pandemic come along and you could even argue with inflation kind of come out of nowhere. Do you feel like you've got to be fundamentally more adaptive or agile in the way 
plan for innovation now? Um, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and how do you do that? Yeah. I, I like to refer to it as turbulent times. And I, th- I think the turbulent times are, are going to stick with us. If I, if I look out on the horizon, I just, I see continued turbulent times. I think if you are not structured in an agile environment, in an agile way, it's going to be tough, right? It doesn't matter what great strategy or idea or concept you have around, hey, how to lead during turbulent times. If you don't have the, the kind of core underpinning structure of how an agile company works, I, I think you're going to be in trouble. So, for example, as we work with our thousands of software developers and our hundreds of product managers, everything we do is based on agile methodology and agile framework. We won't plan out more than, say, two months. We'll, we'll have outcomes that we want to achieve for the year. We'll, we'll say, yeah, we, these are the things we want to deliver this year. These are the goals we want to hit this year. But the how and the specific um, features or releases that we plan, we'll only plan about two months out. Hmm. And as we look at those, you know, as we look at the backlog and we look at what we, all the possibilities of what we could do, um, we, we have the environment as our context, right? And so we're making choices for this month and next month in terms of the actual sprints that we'll take on. So without that core operating, agile operating structure, I think we'd be really challenged to be agile in a more strategic way given, yeah. given the environment. That's, I imagine, you could tell me if I'm right, that, that's a pretty big cultural change, right, from a few years ago. Absolutely. How has that gone? How have you guys driven, driven that so successfully? Yeah, that's a, that's a long story. <laughs> because <Spend laughs> two for part two. That's right. <laughs> I, we, we will be going to three or four hours after all. Yeah. I, I guess the way I'd say it is this. We, we used to be more waterfall project-oriented, without question. Um, that's the way the company was when I joined. As we started to build a, an engineering team and as we started to stand up a product management team, we brought in some really good talent. My predecessor did a really good job of saying, look, what is the product mindset and how do we get that at Sam's Club? And we restructured not only the way we plan, but we also restructured how we work in teams. So now we work in, in a team that we call the experience team. And that was very purposefully named. We want them focused on the experiences that we're building for members and for associates, and sometimes even for home office associates like our merchants uh, or our finance partners, for example. And that team consists of a cross-functional. It's got UX and design. It's got engineering. It's got product. It's got business leads, sometimes analytics, legal, et cetera, whatever is needed. And we work in a way that's very collaborative and we all pull together along that product life cycle that I talked about. It wasn't smooth and simple at first. Um, I was on the business side at first, mm. and I was sometimes saying, who are these product people in my meetings, and why are they here, <laughs> yeah. and what are they doing, right? Yeah. But it didn't take long to see the value they brought to the table. It yeah. didn't take long to see them coming back with insights about what it was we were about to go do that said, that might not be a very good idea. Oh, interesting. And it was really valuable to hear them talk about the concept of a minimal viable product and getting to MVP as fast as you can so you can learn in an iterative way. I mean, would you rather learn fast for little cost or would you rather learn slow for big cost? It's kind of, in my mind, what it boils down to. And so I just saw the value inherent in what they were bringing and 
when those experienced teams gel and really collaborate that way, uh, it, it broke down all the silos and it broke down the waterfall mentality and it really turns into an, an agile environment. It's been, it's been a really fabulous journey to be a part of. I find it really interesting because I feel like it's such a big... We've talked to a couple of other, other companies and, and some of the research I'm doing for a new book about this kind of shift to this product mentality, which is, I think, not what most retailers were doing or still aren't doing. Is there any advice you could give our audience you know, if they want to pursue this, this agile methodology, product focus, how do you even get started? Uh, how do you make the case for it? How do you get the organization moved in that direction? I think if, you're, if your CEO is not bought in, I got this question last week at a, at a different uh, interaction that I was having. And when I think back on it, I think about the two CEOs that I've worked with since we started this journey. Both were very supportive. Kath McClay, our current CEO, is extremely supportive in this. So I think you do need that top yeah. buy-in. You, you need your leader to be saying, this is important to us. And it's important enough that culture is built, yes, in the values and yes, in the big statements. But culture, in my opinion, is also built in what I like to well, it's, it's not my reference. I learned this from Frances Fry. She, she called it Scooby Snacks, right? <laughs> so the things that you award. Finally, it, something I'm really understanding. Yeah, right. really. I, yeah. I love that one. It's a, great, it's a great metaphor, though, because it's mm. the things you like say, hey, good job. Or it's the things that you say, you know, that's not how we do it around here. Yeah. It's those Scooby Snacks that you give out or you pull back that mm. kind of helps create that, that culture. So it's a combination of top-down. So my advice would be sell your leadership and get your executive team on board. Make sure they understand it. Make sure that they back it and get what you're trying to do. Um, But then I also think it's about now go build that infrastructure, the ways of working, and your process and methodology and approach that enables it and give lots of Scooby snacks along the way in the right direction. (laughs) Yeah. I love that. So what's, what's next? Is there anything uh, on the horizon that uh, you can share with us? That's not uh, that the people in Minneapolis or Seattle are not going to (laughs) Um, steal from you. Yeah. You know, I think our, our, one of our flagship products is our scan and go uh, app, right? Where, uh, for those who don't know what it is, it's an app that members can log into. Um, They can put a form of payment into it. And as you shop, you scan your items. When you're done, you check yourself out, you pay, and you simply show a a QR code at exit so that the greeter can simply verify your transaction. It's brilliant. It has like a 90 NPS. Members love this, right? And we continually optimize it. Just when you think, hey, we're there, scan and go is there, you say, you know, members want to now order cafe food on the scan and go app, which mm-hmm. wasn't there before. Right. Members want to do multiple transactions where, you know, I want this part on this credit card, this part on that credit card. And so we're just constantly optimizing it. I think you'll see us continually improve that experience. It's just a member delight. And we want, we want to just keep going, right? We'll continually optimize last mile, everything having to do with convenient access. So curbside um, delivery from our clubs. We're really still in our MVP for delivery from club. Um, We're leveraging the Walmart Go Local network of drivers. And we've learned a lot um, in the first two quarters of the year. And we're about to go bigger with it with our members and move on from MVP to a core offering. So you'll see us constantly improving Anything to do with convenient access. Anywhere where we see member friction, 
you'll see us chipping away and trying to make that simple and smooth. So those are the main things I'd be pointing to. Awesome. All right. Well, Tim, thanks so much for joining us on the Remarkable Retail Podcast here at Grocery Shop 2022. It's a real treat just listening to you. You know, got the, the neurons firing. It's fantastic uh, tradecraft around innovation. So congratulations. Much continued success. Good luck on the stage. Break Thank a leg. You. Thank you. And uh, <laughs> thanks again for joining us on the podcast. Thanks so much. It's been great to be here. Appreciate it. If you like what you heard, please follow us on Apple, Spotify, your favorite podcast platform, so you can catch up with all our great interviews, like our discussion with Seth Godin on what retailers can actually do to fight climate change. New episodes of Season 5, presented by Marketal, will show up each and every week. And be sure and tell your friends and colleagues in the retail industry all about us. And I'm Steve Dennis, author of the best-selling book, Remarkable Retail, How to Win and Keep Customers in the Age of Disruption. You can learn more about me, my consulting, and keynote speaking at stephenpdennis.com. And I'm Michael LeBlanc, consumer retail growth consultant, keynote speaker, and producer and host of a series of retail trade podcasts, including this one, plus the host of the popular YouTube cooking show, Last Request Barbecue. You can learn even more about me on LinkedIn or melebla.co. Safe travels, everyone. <laughs> <laughs>